Good day everyone, I'm Adam Vargas, your host, happy to be here on Joystick, the podcast for your retro gaming needs. We've got a new yarn this episode, so stick around and enjoy. So to start, we have Jake Rodkin and Sean Vanneman, who were creative leads of the Walking Dead Telltale series. We have Nails Anderson, who had been a lead designer of Mark of the Ninja. We have artist Ollie Moss, who spent years of graphic design work across various different developers. And Chris Remo, a veteran composer for games like 30 Flights of Loving, Gone Home, and Space Space DF9. So all these people have had experience in gaming, and there's kind of a consistent pattern for those of you who have noticed the projects they were a part of. An emphasis on storytelling, on interactive storytelling in particular, whether it be from game raw gameplay, dialogue choices, or even music. So Firewatch would be their first game at Campo Santo. It had initially been inspired by a painting by Moss, who wanted to emulate National Park Service posters from the New Deal era. A very rich, atmospheric kind of color palette across forestry, very streamlined, efficient graphical elements and icons that are supposed to communicate these important, just efficient and important information, like, you know, this is fire, this is bears, etc. And they had Jake Ean, if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, as a lead environment. Uh, no, sorry, Jane Ean, who was tasked to recreate Moss's work in 3D environments that would have maintained this stylized, artistic look of the New Deal era posters. So where did they go with all this? Well, as developers who have had a lot of experience with storytelling, they decided they wanted to take this aesthetic and turn this first project, Firewatch, into a narrative-driven, interactive, first-person mystery game set in the, I believe, the Shoshone National Forest in 1989. So we're dealing with a mystery story with a heavy emphasis on storytelling. The The team even went to Yozumai National Park to get visual references and inspiration for what they were going to create, this environment. Even visited a lookout tower to recreate in the game, the lookout tower being a very iconic uh, design that you can find in the game, a very iconic location. So you have Vanaman and Anderson, who also incorporated their personal experiences having grown up in rural Wyoming, so they could capture the, the feel of living and existing in a forested environment, which is the entire focus of the game. So let's talk a little bit about those New Deal era style visuals. It's it's very it's roughly a decade after the inspirational pedigree of 1930s animation from Cuphead and Bendy from our previous episodes. So there's a very similar theme of adapting the old into the new here. In this case, they took advertising methodology from a long ago decade and translated it into modernized interactive story. So and we see with uh, the methodology of the color theory, a lot of it was taken from professional graphics design theory. For those of you fellow graphics design students listening in, you know what that's like. So uh, very much they were they cared about trying to focus on how color captured the feel and emotion that the teams wanted for the game. So very much the idea of environment design as part of storytelling, or environmental storytelling as it's usually called. Their entire focus on the game from the ground up was to tell a compelling, rich story, from the music to the, the visuals to the writing. Everything they wanted to focus on would be on the delivery of an interactive narrative. And the reason why this is important is because this is an example of an indie studio taking a long-time tradition of a long-lasting genre and 
adapting it into something new, innovating it with something. Because uh, storytelling has existed in games for as long as games themselves have existed, from just old text-based choose-your-own-adventure-style ad- uh, games to like dialogue-driven games. Just The Walking Dead, for example. The, the main impetus of that game's entire gameplay flow is... That is choosing dialogue options. It is looking at a situation, looking at a narrative, the characters, the situations they get wrapped up in, and making decisions as the player of what your character or what the cast of characters will do and how that impacts the, the nature of the plot going forward. Where the story beats tend to be kind of predetermined, like major events and whatnot where the story begins and ends typically in these kind of games doesn't change. It's the smaller scale choices, it's the details, the dynamic interactions where player choice and ownership take over. And text-based games being the kind of stuff that has been around since as, for as long as gaming has seen just an evolution as games developed sound, as games developed new genres and, and game design elements and technology to be able to convey storytelling, and Firewatch is no exception to that. Being a narrative-focused game, they took every aspect of the design, the environments, the, the writing, the interaction the player has with the environment, in order to tell a compelling narrative. So, like the previous games we've talked about in previous episodes, they used the Unity engine. But, interestingly enough, for the scope of the project they had in mind, they had to adapt the concept within the limitations of their resources. This is something that a lot of indie developers are faced with because of a lack of um, massive funding from larger publishers. Designers have to kind of get creative. Limitations existing within uh, just the the inherent fact that we're dealing with a limited budget, a smaller team, etc. Art through adversity, I believe it's called. So, Jane Eden didn't really like the, the, the tools that Unity had for creating trees, for example, so they hand-modeled the different trees and created custom foliage that better fit the style that the team was going for. And being a character-driven game, it had to go through several different concepts to try and deliver a narrative while being efficient with their limited resources. We saw earlier concepts they talked about, having lar- a larger cast of characters that the player could interact with, fellow hikers in the forest, other uh, fire watchmen within the area, but they decided to limit the cast and limit the scope of the project because they were worried of technical issues like, say, lip-syncing for animation. That's a very complicated process. Anybody in animation out there can attest how difficult little things like that, especially lip-syncing, are. So the team decided to get creative with the concept of being uh, isolated in a forest environment, but still having somebody to talk to. And their solution was the walkie-talkie, where the main character you play as, Henry, talks to their supervisor, Delilah, only through a walkie-talkie. This was an idea inspired by games like Bioshock and The Walking Dead, where there's a consistent interaction between two key characters, the former Bioshock being the idea of Atlas, the guy who would always talk to you on your little uh, walkie-talkie. So a similar concept here, where dialogue choices and interactions would be told purely through written lines and spoken dialogue, where the lack of a visual uh, representation of Delilah 
creates this distance, and that distance has to be bridged with the words that they tell each other. Very much uh, a similar predicament that a lot of old text-based games actually had to go through when they had very limited memory and graphics and representation to be able to work with. So, with Firewatch, we see a project that uh, represents a continuation of innovative tradition. Old-style visuals, old text-based gaming conventions from way back, being reinvigorated and improved upon with modern and unconventional design. So basically taking what was old and completely re, uh, re-envisioning it into something totally new and interesting. That, that uh, A personality all of its own, an identity all of its own. Because you look at Firewatch, you look at any screenshot, you look at any imagery or iconography, it's very distinct. It's Same goes with the dialogue and the, the, the delivery of the storytelling, which has often been very lauded since the game's release. And Firewatch had been released on February 9th, I believe, of 2016. It sold over 500,000 copies in its first month, with over a million copies across all versions of the game sold overall. And the biggest praise that the game got was for its choice-based dialogue tree, the dialogue itself, the voice performances they got. And I and yeah, as somebody who also played this game, I highly recommend it. It's it's not an action-heavy game, obviously. It's it's a much more quiet, much more subtle game, but it does over the course of the story get more intense, more suspenseful. But it's an example of the slow burn. The story that starts off slow, that starts off low-key, but takes that time to really get you into the mindset and the personalities of the different characters they are interacting with. Or in this case, the two main characters that are going to make up the vast majority of the entire game. And it's it's the little tricks, the little... um, tidbits here and there that they do throughout the game that that really make it shine as a narrative, that that really make it shine as a a video game narrative. And the fact that a small studio can take this idea, this concept, and really uh, work within the limitations to make it something unique and interesting, it's a a level of creativity that it should absolutely be um, lauded, that should be rewarded, that should be acknowledged and should be learned from. And there is a lot, I think, to learn in terms of design from Firewatch, so I highly recommend it. And that is today's scoop. So until next time, I'm Adam Vargas, your host, here on Joystick for Retro Gaming Stories. Play on, and keep it happy out there. Mm-hmm.